Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International and author of a number of books on training and innovator of training methods used throughout the world. In today's huddle, we're going to be talking about the education of the physical preparation coach. Now before we get into it, I want to clarify the word physical preparation coach. It's a, it's a word that I picked up some time ago from more, I guess, Eastern European writings. It's certainly not the word that's been selected uh, as a word of choice in the American profession who've gone with the word strength and conditioning coach. And I've actually wrote about that as the first person to do so some, some decades ago, explaining the origin of that word. I also uh, had the opportunity to impact the Australian industry's direction on that, and I, they, I guess I ended up having one foot either side, of the, either side of the fence with that one. Sometimes you'll see the American term, sometimes you'll see the more of the Eastern European term. So just to clarify, when I use the word physical preparation coach, I'm referring to whatever you want to call yourself, any of the, the sub-disciplines uh, we're involved with training people professionally. So back on topic, we're talking about the education of the physical preparation coach, and we, we are fortunate to have a number of my coaches with us to share their thoughts. And I'm going to kick off with the topic of uh, continuing education credit versus educating because you want to get better. And I know one of my coaches spent some time recently at a pretty big event in the fitness industry's calendar there in, in Canada. So I'll get you to comment on, on that, Ryan. You know, what, what's, what's the dominant motivation for professional development in the industry? Thanks, Ian. Talk to a number of people, and, and some people, are they, they train and they go to this event every two years because they can go for a couple of days and get all the credits they need to keep their certification up to date. So they get their they they select courses there, and a lot of times they're selecting it on a little paragraph paragraph blurb on it's marketing blurb on what is uh, what they're going to learn, and that suits them for the next two years until they come and show up again. So it is really like you've said in the past, jumping through hoops. And then there's other people that are coming that a really brand spanking new and this is the place to be and they want to learn what's new is something I heard a lot. What's what's the new thing out there? What's the new trend? They want to keep up with, with what's new and, and trendy. And then some people are just wide open and what and are, are soaking everything up and are just caution them and watch watch out because it's a very dangerous area because you're gonna hear a bunch of stuff from a lot of <laughs> a lot of people that is not going to serve you very well. So, was in thirty seconds, the uh, the best advice I, I could give them was to give them my card and head them towards the KSI. As I've already, as I could relate with them in my journey of coming in uh, a couple decades ago and, and going through those things. So hopefully they could learn from my experience and and start ahead of the curve and joining the KSI education model. So I was about to say, you're speaking from your own experience there, and you basically you've been through this, you've you've done exactly that, you've been excited by the shiny new bell, you've, you've done everything you needed to to maintain your certification. Is that correct? That is correct. I remember being in that, that exact location uh, many years ago and, and just overwhelmed and excited and, yeah, like who was... Who was the, the next best guy there to, to learn from? And 
looking back on it, it was who was the best marketed was the biggest uh, the biggest thing. Uh, we ended up running into an individual who was very together, very business savvy, but he was a creator of a trendy toy. That's his his fame and his uh, his wealth right now. But all he's doing is what's the next trendy toy he has to find to keep up with things. So that's what people are coming in to experts in marketing and experts in creating personas. And then the industry is just a couple of credits here and you're good for the next two years. Come back and keep up, keep learning. So coaches, do you think the majority of people in physical preparation adopt that? I'll only do professional development if it'll give me CEUs and just keep me, keep me just in the industry. I'd say that probably ninety five percent of the ninety five percent or greater participate in that. Yes. Well, I guess then we're only really talking to the five percent because I've made a point for for many years now for of saying actually I'm I'm really not that interested in providing you with continuing education units. I'd rather you be involved because you have a genuine desire to learn to better yourself to become competent. And without a doubt, you you forego a massive chunk of the market. When you do that, and I don't know too many people who do that, the for me there's no there's no challenge or reward in working with people whose motivation is to jump through a hoop. Uh, I feel like it's a fairly brain dead exercise, uh, and I'm sure it's very valid for them, etc. And you know, everyone with industry qualifications needs to show uh, CEUs in some regard. I, I'm not discouraging that, but I'm. I'm certainly personally not interested in those whose only motivation for professional development is whether it'll get me CEUs. I actually want to teach people how to be competent such that they'll have food on the table for the rest of their life. See, for a person to put food on the table for the rest of their working life in the absence of being employed in a high-profile training facility or the absence of being employed by a team is very rare. I know very, very few people outside of my coaches who actually make a living, generally make a living from training athletes without being associated or employed by a sporting team or a sporting institute or facility or college or university or high school for that matter. It's incredibly rare. And it's even rarer, I'd suggest, that people teaching uh, these trends, etc., teaching the content in the mainstream educational programs, it's even rarer that they actually make a living out of training athletes in the absence of being employed by a facility or a team. So for me, the ultimate litmus test of competence is can you make a living, living where you choose, yet not be employed by a facility, not even be associated with a facility, and not be employed by a team or or an organisation or an institution? And that is, for me, the determination of whether you are truly autonomous. You are in control of your destiny. So when you go along to these programs, you'll obviously get the trends and you'll get your certificates, etc. But what we do is offer an opportunity for people to become competent. So let's just run through, for example, some of the things that we'll be covering at our upcoming two-day event in Park City, Utah, USA, starting the weekend of the 20, uh, 23rd and 24th, so 
people will be arriving there on Friday the 22nd of August. On uh, the formal start on the morning of Saturday, we'll start off by introducing the coaches and each of the coaches will give us some insights. And I'm talking about each of my top coaches will be giving an insight into their journeys. And, and we just got a quick insight there from Ryan about his, in relation to his transition from uh, being influenced by trendy CEU content through to seeking education for the sake of getting better. We'll follow that up with a fairly solid presentation by myself going over how I reached the conclusions that I reached and these are the conclusions in training that have impacted so many around the world. And not everybody's aware of them because obviously they've been, in many cases, um, repackaged, inverted commas, in the absence of credits and referencing. But nevertheless, uh, th th that's where they came from and I'll be giving insights into how I achieved or reached those conclusions. Well, we're going to have our, our resident low body fat man um, talk about how he guides competitive athletes who need to have, either have a certain body fat or a certain body weight to make their targets for competition. And I think people will be surprised by the strategy we're using. It certainly might be a little bit different than the, the, what many people think or some of the mainstream recommendations. But one thing we know for sure is he's, he's, he's competent. And his competence is, is, is evident by his personal shape, personal condition, as well as the results he's getting with clients. Uh, in fact, a number of our coaches in the program have sought their advice. Carl, do you want to touch base on that very briefly? Your, your recent situation? Certainly. So I've experimented with weight and drops for competing a bunch of times, but uh, often it's not the most pleasurable experience. So I asked John for some guidance on how he would go about it. So we had a bit of a chat. Some of it wasn't um, was fairly standard, but then there was a lot of things that usually I wouldn't have done staying away from, and uh, it just made it a lot easier. So it was the easiest cut I've had. I came in, yeah, just basically 100 grams under, so uh, which was good, so right on the money, uh, and felt really good. So as the cuts go, it was the most pleasurable cut I've had to date. So uh, it was only the last few weeks I had his advice, whereas uh, in the future, I think we'll catch up and have a, a longer plan, and I'm sure it'll be an even greater experience, but he knows his stuff for sure. So I've been very impressed with talking to a number of his competitive athletes and the results that they're getting. And here's a great example of, of competence uh, and, and getting competence from the KSI teachings and KSI education, and we'll come back to that uh, before the end of this huddle. So another topic we'll be going through there is um, talking with Mike, for example. Mike uh, is going to be talking to us about the lessons he's learned from training college-level athletes for quite a few decades. How many years, do you reckon, generally speaking, Mike, you were exposed to the college-level athlete in a, in a full-time professional sense? Uh, 26 years, yeah. So a pretty, pretty big slab of any man's working life. So Mike's a quick insights into some of the things that you might be sharing. You don't have to go into detail. Uh, just how to work with, with athletes in an environment that can be really challenging in terms of um, them achieving what they want in regards to their body and, and their performance in their sport. Uh, at the college level, you, there's, a, uh, there's a number of influences uh, drawing their decisions in certain directions, and we'll be talking about how to manage the psychology of that uh, in that environment. Excellent. 
So we'll all be going to also then uh, talking about training, training decisions based upon reading the body, not reading the journals. So I know our coaches haven't had a lot of opportunity to prepare that, but um, Ryan, do you want to touch base on that, the difference between the KSI way of the way we teach you to make training decisions with athletes based upon reading their body and, and, and using intuition as opposed to the inverted commas of science and the, and the research and the journals? I'm not suggesting that they're relevant. I'm just suggesting that they don't play the, the role in our decision-making that they do with their analysis. Yeah, absolutely. I had a discussion with an athlete that's uh, this past weekend, actually, that's aiming for the next Olympics in a different sport. She was in the Olympics for a previous sport, but she's looking for people to work with. And she talked about coaches that she's talked to and that are that are saying, if you drop X amount of weight, you'll be able to go X speed. You'll drop your time by this much. And uh, I said, oh, that's amazing that he can predict the future like that and she was she was on board with understanding that same thing but that's really what it is it's a is it a a prescription or is it a process and i think that's where we differentiate hugely is looking at things we don't know the answer as ian said in the past again the, the phrase i use most is i don't know i have to see you i have to look at you i have to interact with you and and not help you understand that you already know more about your body than anybody else. Excellent summary. We'll also have uh, Coach Coach Mitchell talking about his experiences training martial artists in, in a variety of sports, in, including the mixed martial arts competitions. So he's had a wealth of experience in that regard. We're going to get uh, have a great learning experience here with what he'll be able to share from his both his lifelong involvement as a as an athlete, as well as his professional involvement. We'll be talking about the case I approach the flexibility. So, you know, it's a it's always interesting, especially in the sports that are most uh, currently the most resistant to the stretching. So, I'm going to come back again to to Carl. So, Carl. You know, you're, you're involved in, in strongman and powerlifting, etc. And we both know that, you know, post the mid '90s, when you know, stretching's bad paradigms rose to the surface, that they've been very strongly held onto uh, with great uh, rational dogma by the strength sport athlete. And you've taken a different path since being exposed. How's that been for you? Fruitful, we'll say. So yeah, de- definitely making a difference. And there is evidence that I guess some of the higher levels are starting to take it on. I think it's just most people follow most uh, I guess yeah, most others who, who advocate not doing it and make sure we etc. But I've had nothing but benefit. So in terms of the injuries that I would have from competing to also the numbers of my lifts going up. And it goes further like you already mentioned sport before with with Ryan. I had a, an athlete come to see me the other day. He was a, a footballer and he'd been doing training so reading the body versus reading the, the book and I we had a look at his body I taught some stuff about himself that he wasn't aware of and he'd been doing some other training looking to improve his sport and it actually had the opposite effect so he literally lost a lot of his speed around the park his kicking had gone from 50 metres to around 35 so he was really struggling with range and for the first time in his career he'd actually had um, like an injury a niggle so teaching him about his body and then giving him some very well 
I call it basic, like low level for us, but different to what most people do. And immediately that resolved his, his challenge he had. He went out to his practice and was commented on by people like, wow, what have you been doing? Because he was so different. So it's that easy when you know how to read the body and then you can teach people to uh, take account for that. And it's the same in the, in the strength sports. When you look at the way you train is the way the body's shaped. And unfortunately, most people copy, I guess you call it the, the American way of how to lift. And it, it takes its toll. It's why a lot of lifters have shorter career spans and a lot of replacements down the track. So like any sport, when you're taking it to the, the high level and you're pushing yourself in the red, yes, there are risks, but a lot of those can be greatly reduced when you know how to read, A, your body, or B, if you're coaching people, your client's body. So there's a huge amount to get out of it. So personally, I know I'll be able to lift for a long time based on what I know and do, and more importantly, I'll be able to help others do the same. So that way, whether they're training to compete in strength sports or are training strength to improve in their sports, there will be that carryover. Whereas, unfortunately, the reality for most people is their strength training they're doing, which has got hugely popular, is often doing more damage than good. Yeah, that's definitely, we are breaking record on that one, Carl. So it's great to hear from your perspective. And on that subject, I will also be presenting on, on, the, on the topic of injury prevention and how to predict and why it's so important to be able to predict injuries and with that skill alone you can change people's lives and I've been campaigning and championing the injury prevention cause well before um, well it, there was no awareness in in physical preparation there's no awareness in strength coaches of providing injury prevention work or definitely there was no real rehabilitation services being offered outside of the physical therapists and I spoke about that in the, in the 90s and in winning and losing in 1997 I said there's no reason why a physical preparation coach shouldn't provide those services and that has occurred to some extent, but the, the competence of it is, is another topic because what you said there, Carl, is that the majority of training being done is causing more damage than good, and that's a statement I've been making now for the uh, you know, best part of 20 years, and it's, it's not only getting truer, it's actually getting um, scarily worse. So we'll also be uh, flicking our ground to Mike, and Mike's going to touch very upon the holistic approach, KSI's holistic approach to training, and being an American and uh, you know being having a, a career long in being exposed to the trends and the habits of, in in your culture's industry, Mike, you're, you're probably in a pretty good position to compare the holistic approach that KSI takes. Um, you already touched on some of it, Ian, in, in terms of how to how to read the body, because that's something that um, I don't think a lot of physical preparation coaches do these days, and, and not just from a uh, from a physical perspective, but, but what are the what are the messages when you read between the lines? Um, how to how to t- how to talk with an inter- with a uh, with an athlete? How to interview them? Uh, and how to bring the other aspects of their life into their training? Um, there's such a there's such a correlation between some the way someone lives their lives outside of training versus in training um, that the more the athlete can actually connect those two. Uh, the better their result is. We'll be touching on a, a number of uh, a number of points in those areas. Yeah, fantastic, Mike, and you bring so much knowledge and wealth to the table with your experience in the American industry. So, on that subject, or an extension of that subject, is, is we're going to have John talking about making a hundred thousand dollars a year plus as a as a physical preparation coach. And in his case, you could almost call him a personal trainer, but I think he's he's more than that. And he's a walking example of someone who's very quickly, upon embracing KSI way, 
is is placing yourself in that category of earnings. And that's what I talked about before of what we pride ourselves on in teaching people how to develop competence that will feed them for life. And that's something that it doesn't matter how well you market it, there's no guarantee of the competence that will, will generate from it, especially if it's being taught by someone who's actually not competent themselves. And so many people set out to become trainers of athletes and actually uh, fail and, 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 and give up. And uh, So it's, it'll be great to hear from John's personal experience on how he changed his financial returns, how he changed his income using the case I approached to, to training. So Ryan will also be jumping to you to share your experiences with sliding gliding sports and the ice there and the Canadian colder weather. So give some insights into some of the things we're going to be learning there when you're talking about the KSI difference in its approach to training the, the sliding gliding sports. Yeah, I think the the, some of the common uh, mis- misconceptions that are that I run into here, we'll, we'll touch on, such as how do you, you know, why, how how is this sport different than this sport, and uh, and how training the individual is is where the place I start and and go from there, and then as well, depending on the sports and their unique uh, in individuality, as in. Some are team sports, some are partner sports, some are individual sports that I work with, and the in, the unique challenges and advantages to each of those situations, and the relationship and how that works with the athlete as well as with the coaches as, as well. It's fantastic, uh, fascinating topic because there is there is such some subtle differences between um, dry land sports and uh, the the sliding gliding sports that. I've always been intrigued by the application of methods and, and wondered how anyone could conclude. I'll, get, I'll give a quick example, of, and I won't, won't name the country or the, the, the discipline, but uh, a winter sport, and uh, they were doing uh, bounding training in ski boots. Um, yeah, it kind of, it's, it's, it's easy to laugh now, but it is funny, I guess, but you know, at the time it was kind of hard to... To fathom the, the the risks being involved, to you know, a nation's best skiers uh, bounding, uh, doing two-legged jumps uh, horizontally, etc. In in ski boots. So, yeah, there's a lot of confusion in, the, in those sports, and I, I know that you'll be able to shed some great light on that. So, we'll also be touching base on um, the the strength sports in a pretty significant way, and. We're going to call upon Carl to share more of his experiences as far as applying the full range of KSI way to succeeding in in his strength sports. So we, he's touched upon the stretching, but what are some of the other things that, just very briefly, Carl, that you've learned along the way that have changed your performance and your outlook on how to train others in strength sports? Certainly. So there'll be quite a few things we'll cover. Obviously, planning is a big part of it. So often, people get a better result just by having a plan. So there is no magic program for anybody, but having a, a start and an end in mind, especially with a cycle and the competitive season, makes a massive difference. So we'll be going through the different models and the positives and the negatives associated with those as well. Uh, and then there'll be also exercise selection. So strength sports have picked up a lot, which is fantastic. A lot more people competing, but often they tend to do the same things 
all year round. So again, we'll be talking about the, the positives and negatives of various lifts and variations of the lifts, and again, what they can offer to the, the training program. We we'll also will touch upon flex and, and just a bit more of a general broad view of um, the strength sport. So I'll cover those, A, as a competitive strength, but also how they can be applied to get a great effect in training in general. Excellent. That's going to be great. And Mike, I know there's a topic close to your heart, but we, we'll, we're going to talk about the KSI way of speed training, which is, as everyone on this group knows, it's so far removed from what everyone else is doing. And, and the interesting thing is that it's not our approach is that is not that well known. In that, a lot of my strength material was in demand and published in a lot of you know mainstream websites and magazines, hard copy magazines during the the 1990s and early 2000s in particular. But people weren't overly interested in speed training per se. There has been a growing interest in speed training since with it being used in a few more other um, activities, but there's still a big divide between what we do in speed training and what the masses are doing. You want to touch upon that very briefly, give an insight into what we'll be going through at the two-day convention in Park City? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the biggest thing with speed training, and it's become more of a trend, and trends come and go, as, as you know, the biggest trend in speed training right now is, or speed in general, is that it's the drill that makes you faster, which couldn't be it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, so what you have being marketed out there are specific drills or continuums of drills or uh, progressions of drills, and the focus is on the drill itself. The thought being the drill making you faster, with very little very little focus on the technique of running, uh, and that's something that we focus quite a bit on in with KSI, uh, how to how to interpret what the body is telling you in stride or in gait or in speed training, uh, how to read that, how to take that information, um, and then look to correct it or enhance it or make it better. Uh, it's something that's not taught um, because it's I think it's more art than it is. It's not a how-to thing. It's um, it's actually the art of coaching. And it's something that we obviously focus on greatly in, in, uh, in KSI. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, speed training, because we're at a point in time of history where there's a personal trainer on every corner of every suburb of every town and every city and every country of the world who can write your strength program, apparently. But there's still a greater gap between the number of who are going to say, I'll write your speed program. I'm not suggesting it'll be a good day when they, when they can say that, but uh, we're definitely seeing an increase, but it's still a big gap between the strength experts, inverted commas, and the speed experts. But it would appear that if you go along and learn a few drills and learn how to use a few of the toys that you, you know how to train someone in speed, and from a selfish point of view, I'm quite happy with that because the athletes I work with, they'll smack, smack them, um, you know, will whoop them on the, on the field and on the court uh, very easily. But the, the reality and the, and the tragedy for the athletes is, that, is the things they're getting exposed to. I mean, speed training is not an endurance activity and, and it's not a fitness drill. You know, there's actually a skill component and it should be treated as such. So much of a surprise, the results we're getting is more from the submaximal focus on technical development than it is from, from the traditional high volume, high intensity, this is how you do speed training. So there's a lot of insights that you can get. As I said before, insights that haven't been overly um, exposed to in, in mainstream publishings in the past. So yeah, can, I, can I just add something there, Ian? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. We've talked about it quite a bit in that in, in the current trends of physical preparation, 
all of physical preparation seems to happen inside of a box. <laughs> a box being the weight room, um, or even something similar. And with KSI, we're we're probably spending an equal amount of time in in the field, as in the weight room, as in a court, or wherever the wherever the activity or whatever surface the activity is actually taking place on. So we're not relegated to just that space. We're not relegated to that relegated to that box. We're we're out and about in all of these different um, training environments, uh, and it's something you just you don't get in mainstream training. And you know that, and that's uh, great that you raise that point for the purposes of those listening. That my attitude is, athletic preparation does not occur in the you know gymnasium. It is not based exclusively at a gymnasium. In fact, um, you know, if it was in context, it'd be relatively a small amount of time in the, in the facility. So we'll also have Mitchell sharing with us the, the keys to success and the determinants of success for long-term sustainable lifestyle and, and in physical preparation because... What uh, many people aren't looking forward to, or not, not thinking about, is you know what they're going to be doing in 10, 20, 30 years' time. I mean, what's what's going to be, uh, what's their income going to be, and what's their life going to look like in their fifties and their sixties? Uh, we're such a young industry, and everyone's uh, so focused on their immediate return, their immediate success, that there's very little uh, view towards that. And I've had the opportunity of, of watching this industry grow over the last thirty plus years, and studying case studies of, you know, if a person went off and did this, what's been their outcome? And it's, it's been some um, sobering outcomes for people, I would suggest, but definitely not one that people talk about a lot. And, you know, Mitchell's a great example of a KSI coach who who's, lives the KSI way as a coach, which lives a life by choice, um, has time freedom, chooses his clients and will never never be lost for client demand in the absence of being employed by a team or facility or, or organisation or institution. So there's some great lessons from someone who's actually living it. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, people talk about living the dream, etc. And, you know, I, I know you get a warm feeling from, from having, a, say, a, a training facility and saying, look at that building, it's a bigger building than yours and I own that, etc. Or, or that's my business in there, etc. But at the end of the day, Knowing that tomorrow morning you've got to wake up and where you've got to be, and the next morning wake up where you've got to be, and the next morning wake up where you've got to be, and wondering if you know if that staff member is going to leave you today, and what you're going to do if that staff member does, etc. Yeah, you know, there's a lot more to life than sets and reps, and there's a lot more to success than the, than the facility or the size of the facility you own. And certainly no disrespect to facilities, because obviously we have our associations with them as well. So, on the subject of which, Michael, I want to bring you back in and you'll be sharing some insights into creating balance in life because that's one of the many uh, holistic things we teach and we can talk about holism we probably will come back to that but while we've opened the subject Mike uh, balance in life and I'm talking about balance that includes family you know as a physical preparation or as a coach I mean the coaching industry is not known for balanced lifestyle is it? No definitely not Um, there's there's a there's a massive focus on the amount of work and how hard you work um, in your in your training facility or in your sport, and that's always passed on the, to the athlete. Uh, but oftentimes, what's not passed on is 
the ability to balance the other aspects of your life in order to get a better result in training. Um, so in my working life, the, the greatest thing that I've pulled from KSI is the ability to choose. The ability to choose when I work, how I work, and with whom I work with. Um, and that's had a massive effect on my relationship with my wife, my, with, my relationship with my three children, um, and what their success in their sport has been, and, and their understanding of sport in the game of life. And if I can bring better balance to the way I raise my children, um, that's something that's going to perpetuate. And when I do that with my children, I can then also do that with my athletes and show them that there is so much more to life than just training. Um, and the two definitely complement each other. Some, some very valuable points, Mike, and we know you, you live life by that example. And, and the point about what we share with the athletes as our role models as well as what we, what we educate them on is, is incredibly important. We've, we've all met enough athletes who put all their eggs in the basket of being a professional athlete only to, to, to be knocked out of the game, etc. And you know, In the old days, we used to say pumping gas at the gas station was the only thing they had left, obviously, now that... Nobody pumps gas uh, as, a, as a job. It's, it's an old saying, and, but it's still relevant. And there's, there's so much to life that we can help athletes with, and you can only do it when we're, we're le- living and leading by example. So there's some of the insights, uh, some insights into what we'll be covering in this really rare opportunity for people who are willing to make the effort to, to, to participate in a program that's aimed at, at helping you become as as good as you want to be, rather than helping you get the minimum certification uh, CEUs to, to, to barely hang in your job. So I was just wondering if there's any other insights or comments that any of your coaches wanted to make before we wrap on that topic. I think when, when Ryan started our conversation today, it was about, um, it was in relation to the, to the experience that he had at a, at a convention um, where trainers and coaches these days were, were participating in something in, in order to in, basically out of convenience. And there's a convergence there. This is the danger. There's a, there was a convergence there of money or commercial gain and convenience. And you said something, in the two words that, that hit me were control destiny. And it's I think it's almost impossible to have a con- to have to be able to control your own destiny, destiny when you cannot control your own thoughts, and when you have that convergence of convenience and commercial gain, um, you're literally being fed someone else's thoughts, uh, and that's not something that you'll get with a KSI experience. Um, and Ian, I, I apologize if I'm not getting this right, um, but you had a you had a mantra. You have a mantra within the business, within the KSI business, that um, there's no commercial influence within KSI. You'll never hear something within KSI where, where we're, we're promoting something out of commercial gain. That the thoughts and the philosophies and the methods that, that Ian has, has innovated and, and championed have been without commercial gain. They're based on experience and they're based on the results that we've gotten with the athletes. And that's something that's very different from uh, what Ryan was talking about earlier in the call. That's very accurate, Mike. You summed it up real well. In the absence of commercial and cultural bias, so 
many of my innovations have had nothing to do with equipment, and I can assure you that um, you know, had there been the, the usual commercial intent there, that nearly every one of them would have be, had to have been done with a special device that you can only buy from manufacturer X. So the, the whole thinking concept and being controlling your thoughts and being controlling your destiny, it's something that, that we offer people the opportunity to step into. We understand that we are speaking of the 5%. At best, that 95% would probably feel more comfortable being part of the sheep herd, following along with what everyone else is doing. So it's a great opportunity for people to to get real education and to get education from people who are, who are walking the talk. We're not, we're not talking about uh, theory here. We're not talking about someone who read a book and they're going to share with you their knowledge. We're not talking about someone who they read a different book last week and they changed their mind about how to train, therefore they need to update their chapter that chapter on how to train the abdominals or something like that, it's, this is not an information-based business. This is an experience-based business because at the end of the day, training athletes or training anybody is still an art more than a science. And we are, I'd suggest, the only ones that teach the art of coaching. So I appreciate everyone's input on the huddle today, talking about what will be going over, what people have an opportunity to join us in the content they can participate in and benefit from in the two-day program up there in Park City, and we will be having multiple huddles, which will be open floor discussions on anything that the, the, the students bring to the table. So there will be some phenomenal exchanges and a lot of real-world practical experiences and learning going on there. So to the coaches, thank you, and to those who are joining us in Park City in a few weeks' time, look forward to helping you become as good as you want to be. We will talk with you there.